Hi, and welcome to Integrate Faith and Innovate. I'm your host, Dr. Hannah Stoles, here with my co-host, F.D. Chong. I'm the director of the Wheaton Center for Faith and Innovation and professor of supply chain management. And FT is the head of private capital for Pine Bridge Investments and the father of a recent Wheaton alum. This is the podcast for conversations about the integration of faith with practical tips for faithful decision-making in everyday business. This season, we're focusing our conversations on the ways our faith as Christians makes us unique. How does the gospel inspire us to think and act differently, to innovate in ways that are countercultural and hopefully make the world a better place for humanity. We're excited to have Ann Snyder with us today. She's the editor-in-chief of Comet Magazine, host of The Whole Person Revolution, and co-editor of Breaking Ground, chartering our future in the pandemic year. Ann, it is so good to have you with us here today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Ashley, why don't we go ahead and jump in with some questions for Ann? Yes, uh, and thank you very much, Hannah, and thank you, Ann, for showing for giving us your time. So this is... Um, we decided to make it uh, the first episode of season four. Oh, wow. Um, no pressure. <laughs> yeah. And in a sense, it's um, important because we have been doing a lot of, uh, we've, we've, we've interviewed quite a few people um, and uh, reflecting on the past seasons. Um, uh, there's a lot of wisdom being shared by senior uh, business people in the workplace. Um, but if you, you know, if you're a consumer of, of podcasts, uh, there's a lot of pop psychology going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a lot of, um, platitudes being shared and we just want to be more impactful. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to go a little bit deeper this season. So I think you are an appropriate person, um, to, to start this off. So first, first of all, tell us about. Your work, your efforts, uh, objectives at comment, at breaking ground, uh, all, all the all the the work you're doing. What's your audience? Yeah. And how are you different from other publications? Yeah, no, great question. And thanks again for having me. Uh, I was actually just reading a, a Frederick Buechner died yesterday, as you probably both know, who who probably would have walked in and out of Wheaton circles, and there was a beautiful essay that Philip Yancey had written about him like 20 some years ago. And the comment was, it was actually quoting Buechner saying, I feel like it was specific to pastors and local churches. And he was like, I feel like so many past, I just find the local church often so disappointing. Like pastors preach more from their shallows than from their depths. And I've been thinking about that line this morning to your point just now about trying to circumvent a lot of the technique obsessions, I think just in modern American life um, that of course also afflicts and seeps into to American Christian subculture um, as it pertains to leadership advice and that whole cottage industry. So I don't know if I'm that much deeper, but I do also share your impatience with be. a lot of that. <laughs> um, yeah, I so I have this wonderful job. It's not the easiest these days because it's we are trying to be an agent of sort of truth telling and helping a very kind of divided culture politically, uh, socioeconomically, just the ways in which we understand reality itself. We are trying to help people um, see some of the, what I would almost call deep principles or deep gifts of like common grace, whether it is we just did it. So I, this magazine, I should name it, Comet Magazine, um, we just did an issue on friendship and looking at sort of the state of our friendships post-pandemic. We've tried to um, look at 
you know, how, what, what do we really mean by this word tribalism? Uh, what is this sort of battle between love and fear that seems to be going on? So we kind of, I try to pick themes that seem like they're beneath the surface of everyday life, but are still widely resonant and people are intuiting these like fractures and pain points. Um, and we're just trying to give them language and both kind of sometimes pretty honest, hard hitting um, analysis, cultural analysis and argumentation, but also um, through a variety of channels, um, kind of exemplars who are charting out new pathways. And all of this is inspired, as we like to say, by 2000 years of Christian social thought. So um, we're pretty ecumenical in sort of where we're drawing from the riches of this tradition spanning Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, um, thinkers throughout the ages, and then trying to integrate that, like trying to integrate this like dynamic um, tradition intellectually with social action uh, across the range of spheres. So business to hospitals, to police forces, to you name it, teachers, mothers. Um, and to your question about who our readers are, um, this has been a discovery process for me, but I've now been here, I guess, three years in a leadership role. And I have found consistently that our hungriest readers and those who kind of both want to champion us, discuss our essays with their neighbors and colleagues and trustees, if they're in a, they tend to be, not always, but I would say predominantly tend to be some form of, you could either call them an institutional leader who are feeling increasingly frustrated alone and beleaguered by um, very polarized constituencies. And we're trying to give them a deeper nonpartisan imagination that has like a loving vision of the good to animate their everyday steps. Um, and I, I, you know, other ways of putting this are sort of community weavers, gatekeepers. I mean, there's a variety of words, but this is a person who is sort of increase, increasingly rare. They, they have somehow figured out a way um, though they are struggling and they feel exhausted, I think these days, they are deeply often animated by their faith and they desire to be sort of an agent of strengthening our common life and not destroying it. Um, and they have this sort of rare reservoir of trust in their local sphere of influence. So those are the people who read us and we are trying to equip them to be stronger, wiser agents of restoration in very particular, usually sort of civil society kind of local context. Yeah. So. Yeah. What's what does success look like? Um, there's a small pool of those types of readers, right? But probably yeah. a much bigger pool of people who um, are in the workplace, don't yeah. really know where they stand on issues or how to express it. Right. Yeah. I would probably answer that in two ways. The simplest way, and many actually probably you know, Harvard Business Review might say this, again, I would say in slightly more technique way than we would, because we're really trying to bring a theological imagination to bear. Um, but I would say the simple success metric for us is I read comment or I read this article and I have shifted my leadership in Y way. So I read X and now I'm doing Y. And that could be anything from rituals you host with your, <laughs> or rituals you sort of implement in your, amongst your staff or um, a different way perhaps of challenging a corrupted practice or, um, you know, in the, in this summer's case, 
case, which was a little bit more grassroots because we were talking about friendship and all of its aspects in, you know, that would be a little bit more, okay, I'm going to prioritize these relationships and allow these other ones to have had their season. So, so kind of those testimony, what we often hear, honestly, and I think this is very specific to just the times we live in, in the U S we often hear things like, oh, that very sort of supple piece on, um, navigating conflict or actually using conflict funny enough as an agent of deeper understanding and not being afraid of stating your differences. That particular piece has like totally reconciled this relationship I had with my aunt who we haven't been able to see eye to eye or even talk to one another for three years. Or so we, we hear that a lot. Um, And so I would say that, and then I think more broadly comment, and I probably have brought this into the magazine. You mentioned breaking ground, which is now a book, but began as like a a live publishing project to sort of do a little bit more up to the minute, follow the news cycle of 2020 to 2021 with an attempt to have like, see if the Christian imagination can actually lead in our time and um, innovate. Uh, And that project sort of represents, Mm -hmm. I would say, comments, broader ambition to play a role. Not We were not going to be the only ones. We want to link up collaboratively with other sort of kindred spirit organizations um, across a range of sort of cognitive intelligences and sectors. But we want to resource what we would call like a Christian humanist presence in the public square that is sort of very clear on the fundamental questions facing human life and flourishing in this time of like profound change um, and political right. contest. And But to do so in a way that is like proven superior and more compelling than, you know, I don't, this may be, I don't know if this will translate, but sort of there's a whole series of like what I would call post-liberal arguments on the one side that are even thinking they want to get rid of democracy and then sort of anti-human, anti-Christian visions on the other. And, and yet we want to do this in a way that's rich and is not just full of platitudes or sort of bland liberalism. So that's, it's a big goal, but we'd just like to see more thinkers and writers out there in public in a very pluralist, often secularized square okay. that are resourced by our reservoirs. Well, I have a hundred questions, but let's start. <laughs> I have to force myself to go back to okay. two things, um, two terms that, uh, that are being used. One is public theology. Uh-huh. The other one is Christian humanism. Right? Can mm-hmm. you um, what is your what is your definition of those two terms? Because it appears in comments and elsewhere. Yeah, I would say you know, and I'm I actually probably need to like really hone my one sentence definition of public theology, given that it's our tagline. I yeah. I mean I take my inspiration from people like Reinhold Niebuhr and Martin Luther King Jr. And there was sort of this flowering, often actually interestingly, out of particular seminary in New York City Union, um, that just. I think engendered both a network of intellectual friends who then spoke out in public and brought theological conceptions of, of, of truth, of peace, of order, of justice, of mercy out into like real public movements. And they weren't afraid. They weren't only just speaking to the church. They were speaking to, um, they weren't saying we want a theocracy, but there, there was a sense of, um, you know, there is a power both in this tradition and then if you actually believe that God is moving and acting and redeeming um, in the intricacies of our, of, of any, um, any image of our society that doesn't reflect his, that doesn't reflect his um, design. So I think public theology is a, is a very outward facing, like we're, um, I really admire 
um, especially under more recent leadership, what Christianity Today is doing, but they're a little bit, I would say they tend to be more focused on sort of the evangelical world. Yeah. And, it's, and it's changing. And, it's changing. Yes. And that is changing. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah. And I'll, I'll come up with sort of, I would say a, a, a Christian, a sort of theology that, that, that cares about the entire world yeah, God I created. Think, you know, well, um, ironically, uh, the church I go to, it's a PCA, oh, very, very much uh, reformed, uh, conservative branch of the Presbyterian. Um, we meet at Union. And so it's this Orthodox church in the That's middle of Barnard, I House, Manhattan School of Music, Columbia. And yeah. we are, the way we do, we say it is we want to, um, uh, we're in the seat, seat at the table in every discussion mm-hmm. for the Christian worldview at Columbia, mm-hmm. meaning to some extent Christians abandoned all of, of academia and went to Wheaton. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but I think the Christian worldview deserves to be represented mm-hmm. uh, and heard, and we have a, just a slightly different view of certain things. But whatever it is, it's uh, environment, people trafficking, mm-hmm. uh, education, journalism, business world. Uh, there should be a place, a seat at the table for the Christian world. So that's where this little kind of um, odd entity in the midst of, of, of you know, big academic institutions. Yeah. Um, so that, for me, that's our public theology theology yeah yeah no i think that's like very worthy um and it i guess it, it's a nice bridge into you're asking what christian humanism is i'm actually editing a piece on that right now so we can be clear about what we yeah. mean by this but it's a long-standing sort of tradition in some ways it goes all the way back to um right before jesus's crucifixion has himself or Pilate gestures to christ and says ecce homo like here is the man and many theologians and preachers throughout the centuries have read that as a statement of christ is the true human because he mm-hmm. was fully human and fully dem- divine he is the measure of the human um so if you really want to know what it means to live a fulfilled human life and to sort of realize the fullness and plentitude of what it means to be human look to Christ, which includes that arc of life, death, and resurrection. And so then we can respond to that. So that's that's sort of the basis, and this has been developed throughout the centuries. But um, what woven into it are deep themes of like, you can't actually encounter your own humanity, and therefore you can't fully encounter Christ without... Um, without encountering those very different from yourself, whether that's on grounds of ability and capacity or of course, ideology and worldview. Um, so there it's a, it's just, again, it's quite an outward facing, not sober about, but not afraid of pluralism. Um, and that is like digging into what does it really mean that Christ was also very like fully human um, in every every scheme of emotion and temptation and so on. So it's, um, yeah, it's a very, I think it's a very rich, it's a very rich turf that affects political projects, social projects, aesthetic projects, and so on. Yeah. I'm afraid of isms, but... Um, <clears throat> I am aesthetic. too, usually. I am too. There, I'm totally with you. Um, but so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's the, the similar conversation going on with Christianity today, which is trying to recover the title of evangelical. Who's an evangelical? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I, I, I say, why don't we recover the, the term Christian right. for Bible-believing Christians? And by definition, a Christian should be humanist in a sense because mm -hmm. we are trying to fulfill the human potential. Right. Should be an evangelist, you know. So all these terms should just fall. If you meet a Christian, you can assume that all these good things are charitable. <laughs> they fight for justice and mercy. They are, you know, human. They, they're trying to fulfill human potential, um, and they are evangelists. So uh, why seed the the mother term Christian to right. other people? Mm -hmm. right? so, I think I think too when we when we jump into these conversations and we're all trying to figure out you know kind of our, our own theological voice and what is uniquely Christian what's uniquely, um, what is unique about Jesus's humanity and um, I'm really interested I I loved the the series on friendship I really enjoyed mm. those articles and I'd be interested from your own standpoint like you know maybe we can't attain it maybe we can't fully understand it but the humanity of Jesus is definitely important to inform what we want to look like in friendship and in relationship. And I'm really interested in your personal story a little bit, if you don't mind sharing um, how your faith and how it's your Christian faith has informed, you know, your relationships, both at work and um, with your staff, with believers and non-believers. And how has that shaped, you know, your life experiences? It sounds like you had a very international upbringing and spent some time at Wheaton. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story and how it's kind of shaped the ideas that you have today. Yeah, no, thanks for that question. And I'm happy to try to articulate some of this. Um, thinking through as you're asking that, I'm struck by how um, the actual sort of core of Christianity that I first encountered in sort of a Holy Spirit sort of reborn conversion in high school to, um, of course, the entire scriptural text to like the actual core kernels of Christ himself, that relationship, the, his, him as a model. And I would say he continued, he perplexes me more and more the older I get, which is funny. It felt so simple and maybe I need to return to that simplicity, but um, that feels more embedded in sort of practice, spiritual practice, mm -hmm. like you know, I think there's an element to my work now where it just is completely impossible without prayer every day. And it's completely impossible without sort of a, just a DNA of an posture that believes deeply in the dignity of all human beings and that sort of, a, you know, image of God in all human beings. Um, I, in terms of, you know, my work, in some ways it's, it's meta for me because I, because the, I wound up somewhat accidentally finding myself in a more explicitly sort of faith animated professional mm -hmm. world that is publicly Christian. Although, like I said, we, I think we're in dialogue with other traditions and we really, um, you know, try, try to be out there a little bit to what FT was saying about, um, Columbia. Um, but so, so there's an element where it's just so woven into every question I ask, um, the way in which I try, try, my team and I try to discern the themes that are worth tackling to be of service to deep cries of this moment. Um, I have probably been more, more than just like, more than like the life of Christ himself. And like, that feels like just 
such a relationship in my life, a living relationship of faith. But I've probably been more influenced tangibly in terms of the shape of my own vocation and how I've tried to pursue it through um, historical exemplars. I mean, Dorothy Day is a huge model mm -hmm. for me. She founded the Catholic Worker and just something, I mean, many reasons that she, there was something about the way she paired um, journalism really and sort of the creation of a newspaper with a social movement and sort of radical hospitality and these sort of um, these homes that would welcome those who at the time who were unemployed during the Great Depression. And there's just like the way in which she integrated action, hospitality, the table with the written word has been hugely influential and encouraging to me. Um, other happen to be often women, female Catholic saints who, who sort of understanding of what it is to be a woman in public have had a deep impact. So I would say in some ways it's, um, I mean, faith is everywhere and there's just an element of, of course, rituals and with your team and treating everybody with dignity as far as you can. Um, but in terms of the actual shape of probably the fragrance I have wound up bringing to this publication as well as how I've been lucky to sort of smell my way to this like fully lived out calling now in my late thirties, um, it's it's probably been more directed by these more his, these sort of historical figures post Christ and sort of the model of their lives. Um, I would say just this is a, I don't think this is necessarily specific to faith, but I find today like, I, the organization that publishes comment is, um, I think the healthiest organization I've ever worked for. It's a Christian think tank in Canada. So that's just a very different cultural religious context than the U S and they're very used to being a minority. They've never really been a dominant subculture. Um, and there's just an element of just fun and laughter. Like life is hard. The, the questions we're trying to tackle are hard. There isn't always a lot of imminent hope. So you just need like a lot of silliness. <laughs> and I think that's an element to like a wonderfully like fast and feasting kind of rhythm in an organization that believes in the cruciform arc. Like we are to be self-sacrificial, but along the way as friends um, oriented towards a shared mission, you just need to have a lot of laughter and joy. So I would say that's kind of woven into, if you ask about integration of faith and daily work, that's kind yeah. of just a... Um, yeah, something I, I feel lucky to lucky to enjoy. And I found out about Cardis because I kind of did some research on your work, and it's an incredible organization. Yeah, it really um, is. Yeah. One view that may be helpful or not, and I'm always very careful about humanism, but in that uh, we're going to live with Christ forever, right? So part of developing the human potential and all the delightful things. For example, I think, and you're. You're uniquely gifted in a, in a couple of really clear ways. Um, uh, you write, you, the way you embroider your sentences are incredible. Oh, thank you. You have a gift of being able to pull people together. Uh, mm. For example, just to get this this book done, um, the right. So I don't know what to call it: convening skill, gift, and and writing gifts. Um, I think if we're going to live with Christ forever, God forever, uh, he's going to have, he, he's not, he's not gathering around him a group of boring people, right? Mm -hmm. But people who have really have great skills, gifts, uh, interesting, you can have 1 billion uh, interesting dinner conversations with groups uh, and there will still be time for another billion because it's eternity, right? So I think Christ will take, God will take delight in us, in humans, mm. uh, and part of our life, part 
main part is really evangelism and building a relationship with him. But part of our life is really exploring, building our gifts, building, being, being the best human who can be a delight to God forever. It's not yeah. just for what we, we're not trying to build heaven here, right? We're trying to build a relationship and be delightful. He will mm-hmm. always be pleased to read whatever you've written. Oh, <laughs> well, writing. Nice. You'll have many writing projects. And that's um, so kind. I, I like that. I love that sort of imagination. I've never quite thought of it yeah, that way. It, I see a million uh, opportunities to do the things you yeah. do well and delight in with, with other people, with Moses. You're going to have a nice dinner conversation. <laughs> <laughs> It was very cool, actually, just about five days ago, I've been part of a Duke Divinity, Duke Divinity School leadership cohort. It's fairly small, and they gathered, I don't know, eight or ten folks. Half of us lead Christian organizations, and half are Christians leading secular organizations. And it was um, because of COVID, we wound up having to really do most of this learning community and sort of peer-to-peer community over Zoom. But we finally got together in person last Thursday in Indianapolis. And one of the members of the group is like a big community weaver leader um, in Indianapolis and sort of built this incredible, repurposed an old church, old and dying church into this like very crazy, wild, huge art center. And long story short, we were talking about talking about that and and touring it and we get it was the evening and as a gift to all of us to sort of capstone this time together um she had built into the ceiling of this old church um a table so without knowing there was this wonder beautiful like african-american woman who did a little welcome sort of almost benediction dance to welcome to the table and then this table came down from the ceiling with um candles on it and wine glasses and it was not 12 i guess it was 14 shirts but it totally looked like passover and we had this evening that was just one of those you know we all hopefully have memories like this in our lives here but it was one to your point there was a you kind of you very much felt that Christ himself was amongst us. And this was a foretaste of, um, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't know if I quite buy the boring P I don't think there's, there is such a thing as a boring person to be honest. Um, but there are, there is, there are a lot of disappointing, I think, um, we don't challenge ourselves in, gifts, if, gifts out of love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, this happened to be a group that was just like highly charged into their callings and struggling. This is a very chastening time to be any kind of a leader that's trying to preserve co- the commons. And I, I just was struck by the context of the feast and this like table coming down literally as if from the heavens um, that mm-hmm. it just brings a, a portrait of what you were just, what you were just describing as yeah. the I long. Do and, and, uh, uh, Hannah, this, uh, the second question we haven't asked yet, which is how you personally mm-hmm. integrate. We talk about all these things where, you know, um, all hypocrites in a sense, but how do you actually integrate your values, the things you promote into the way you work, right? How you interact with your staff, with the outside world, with non-believers, skeptics, um, mm-hmm. how does that, how do you, how do you work with people? How are you at work? Yeah. Um, we get into the nitty gritty of this. Um, yeah. It's more personal. yeah. I, you know, I think um, I'll, I'll just be honest. I have found it. I have a wonderful team and we're not huge. We're, we're growing. We're about 10, 12 people now. And then Cardis is a broader 30 plus organization. So I'm sort of canopied into that. But as you said earlier, I also like feel like I have 
other pseudo teams out there because I am trying to weave a lot of institutional leaders together into certain yeah, kinds yeah. of, so there's an element where it's like, who, wait, who is my team? <laughs> there's too many. Um, I, as a writer or as someone tasked with uh, trying to at least set the tone, if not the frame for a particular conversation in a given moment, um, that's a very different brain muscle than Mm -hmm. managing a team of people. And I have found switching back and forth between those, though I'm also with kind of editorial publishing writing types internally on the team. So there's a sense of sort of shared respect for, you know, you need rhythms of, you know, deep work solitude. You, we, there needs to be time carved out where you're able to read. Otherwise we're not going to be able to be responsive and wise and nourished ourselves. So, but I think I'm still learning that delicate dance of, um, how to, um, I mean, I think probably one of the most important things is building in fairly regular rituals ourselves because we are in the business of seeking to cultivate communities of conscience that are fundamentally animated by this sort of Christian narrative of the world and what we would think of as, as, as truth that's not just to be visited on Sundays. We feel like we, we facilitate both products and tools for many, many other people to do that in their own communities, but we don't only a we do this thing called comment suppers where people can gather around a table between six and ten people around the content and the issue and discuss it over with a playlist and a recipe and we've only done that once ourselves as a team and it was like a remarkable thing but I think somehow figuring I have a mentor who often says um, and any organization if it's trying to create some kind of social change in the world we need to be ourselves the change we're seeking to create. And I, I think that's what I continue to learn how to do. Um, there is a very felt problem of 24-hour days and time constraints um, when you're trying to do a lot. So I don't know if I'm totally answering your question, but I think just the yin and yang between um, – it's sort of like I have two roles. I, the, there's the community building piece that is meant to be in response to um, – proper framings of the core, often urgent questions that Christians need to step up and lead on in many ways, in a generous way. But, And the, there's the community building piece that I also see my own team being a microcosm of. And then there is the actual intellectual writerly, you know, you talk about putting phrases together. That's, that's just a that I think they go together. Like I think of it like painting and hospitality should go together. And I found the world of ideas and relationships need to go together these days for people to be persuaded. But somehow as, as myself trying to do both, um, it's an, it's an ongoing work in progress. <laughs> That's amazing. I want to jump in. We only have time probably for another closing question or two, um, as we close up our time together. And, um, is in a comment you made at the very beginning and then thinking about the relationships and leading by example. Um, you know, I sometimes kick myself for naming our center at Wheaton, the center for faith and innovation. Cause then we have a call to be innovators ourselves, just as you said, right. We have to live what we're training students to do and what we're calling Christians to think about, right. We want to be innovative. We want to be um, different in this world. And I love you said, you know, you're, you're really um, championing, that's hard to say, championing um, principles and ideals and Christian thought that's 2000 years old. Yeah. And how do you champion that and bring it into today's world in a way that is um, relatable? And because, you know, they're, they're underlying eternal truths that you're talking to and our need to love humanity and our need to um, you know, demonstrate the humanness of Christ. 
So how do you like what are what's the key? What's the what's the secret to kind of bridging our 2000 years of history to the to the real elements and the keys that are important for today? Do you have like a I have well <laughs> I well this is a tricky thing um but I and I feel very lucky somehow I have actually not experienced too much like sidelining or dismissing mm -hmm. though in ways I didn't quite anticipate you know like I said I've I've wound up being sort of a quote public Christian <laughs> which is of course spiritually fraught territory we could talk about that another time but um just some practical things so much of this is tonal especially today I mean I think you um, you should lead with invitational questions that are very um, carefully construed to resonate, but also to challenge. And don't lead first with answers to questions people aren't actually ask asking. I think that's, it's key to just sort of, um, you know, years ago, I wrote a little book about character and the character of organizations um, and how do organizations be formative of sort of the moral sinew of the people in their midst and the people they're trying to serve, be they a sports team or a rehab community or an artistic community or a church or whatever. And I wound up as I went around the country, like looking at all these different kinds of organizations and the healthiest ones where there was joy and there was a sense of deep shared mission. Like I found sort of principles that, and sort of, um, intrinsic goods that defined that there was a pattern, even if they were very different sectors, colleges, and they were things like, you know, does it have a shared tea loss, a transcendent end? Are there um, rituals uh, and liturgies? Um, is everybody engaged? Does it have a conception of the whole person? Is there room for struggle and vulnerability? So, and you're noticing I'm sort of asking them in the frame of questions, and I could have just sort of led with, in many ways, it was, of course, you're discovering sort of backing into, I would say, like a fairly, um, at least Judeo-Christian yeah. um, understanding of health, of community and our relational natures. Um, but to, it was a secular book. And I, and I found myself as I was building coalitions from that book, that there was just a way of not giving people 10 commandments of, da -da -da, of like a didactic set of statements, but inviting them to consider and self-excavate and excavate their own organizations by holding up an ideal, but with a question mark. So that's one. I would say the other is um, just I have found the gift of storytelling um, mm -hmm. and focusing on sort of specifics, concreteness. Like I, um, I, I think this is Wheaton's influence. I probably sometimes think overly high concept that can lead to abstractions. And I've just found the gift of an, of an interview of really steeping in a particular organizational context or community context or person's life, and then seeking to honor that with as like broad and full a picture as possible is just a wonderful way to kind of get slant into truths without sort of legal, legally going through them and sort of a, some sort of a logic. Um, so that, those are just questions and stories. I guess those are the two things that immediately come to mind that um, feel like they're a form of championing, but are also baked in just like ongoing deep curiosity about who this human being is, what this culture is that framed their values, and just a piece that all truth is God's truth. There's so much I can't know. I see through the veil darkly now, and um, I, I guess I don't. I don't feel like God's depending upon me to defend um, his tribe like that. That. I don't, I think the way in which we put boundaries around that tribe sometimes are just, are, makes, makes him a little bit sad. So I, so there's just a different, it's like looking at things with this light, like Christianity is an adverb more than anything. And um, yeah, focusing on the human questions.
because God made it all. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much time we have. Um, so I think this uh, Breaking Ground um, uh, book was started right around, two, I guess, to the uh, spring, spring of, yeah, it was sort of May of 2020. Where yeah. I think when the country of the world shut down, uh, people divided into two camps. Uh, one uh, made people in, in your book and uh, I guess everyone here as well, we got, we sort of sat back and said, does our worldview explain what is happening here? <laughs> and uh, is God trying to tell us something, right? Is this mm -hmm. a warning? Is this a slap on the wrist? Mm -hmm. And then <clears throat> uh, I would say that's the small brain in the elephant. The big body of the elephant, which is, I would say, the mass of people mm -hmm. in this country and elsewhere had a more practical view of it. They stocked up on flat screen TVs, uh, recreational boats, and went home and enjoyed themselves for a couple of years because they didn't have to go to the office. And um, I'm not sure the introspection was as as long as uh, or deep as some of the people uh, in the book did, right? Yeah. Uh, and then coming out of it is as we come out of it, I mean, there's the second book in the in the making, I suspect, which is the epilogue is, do we want things to go back to the way they were trending mm -hmm. uh, two and a half years ago, meaning the masses in the middle are indulging, entertaining ourselves to death, abusing and pillaging the earth of resources to feed these appetites, right? Um, or have we learned something um, has all these soul searching uh, led us to wake up in some ways? You know, I'm kind of idealistic in that. I was hoping that there would yeah. be some sort of revival, right? But I think right. the big, you know, I look at the world as like an elephant. It's a small brain, which is people who are thinking about stuff. The big mm -hmm. body is just looking for food and water and whatever else, you know, enjoying itself. And then the two wings, the left and the right ears that are making loud noise. <laughs> uh, yeah. But has anything changed? Has Have we learned anything from the past two years? Have the people who were thinking about it been able to, to influence the people who are now on revenge vacations or revenge travels? <laughs> the guys who bought TVs and motorbikes and boats are now out having, you know, cruises and vacations, right? Yeah. Have we learned anything, you know? Yeah, I I mean, this is the million dollar question. Um, I think there were moments, it's funny, when I was, um, I'll answer your question a couple different ways, when I was stewarding and leading really that Breaking Ground project and all the pieces we commissioned and particular writers, there was, and then, you know, we, we I founded it in the context of the pandemic. And then right before we officially launched, like two months of getting it all prepared to ready to go, just assuming that, yes, there were basic needs that needed to be met, like people needed unemployment help and people needed food and there was a lot of combustion. But I was like, I think people are also going to want to make some sort of meaning of all this. That's like somewhere up the hierarchy of needs. And it was a hunch and it proved a little true, but you're right, not with the masses, I wouldn't necessarily say. And yeah. I, because especially we were trying to kind of 
bring this like Christian imagination to some of the deep, what is being revealed about our society, what next in all these domains. I had this essay that I've still never finished that I, it was sort of just a deep cry of like, church, where are you? <laughs> Searching for the people, like just feeling this like lack of um, leadership to unite and sort of help sustain and frankly, pray for revival. And like, yeah. that's, you know, it doesn't just happen. <laughs> I mean, no, God yeah. does it. But, but I think, um, I, I am very, I, I'm usually a person of like quick stories of hope and optimism. And yeah. I have to say more recently, and this is very in the American context only, I just am, I feel both confused, unnerved that I don't quite understand what's happening and the complexity of our landscape right now. And I do, I definitely feel like a sense of foreboding and like deep searching prayers of yeah. what does that mean yeah. for my little role? However, um, it only takes a small group of people to be asking different kinds of questions and to be stoking a different kind of imagination. And I think in some ways Wheaton College as an institution among others, has like proven this over the generations. It really um, as little as one person, right? Jonah in Nineveh, right? Uh, right. One reluctant prophet who can that's, reach. You who know, can, that's right. And I do think just to get even to this, I, I'm with you. I don't love isms either, but maybe to get back to this Christian humanist thread, um, in the, is, which I think is a tradition and sort of a posture that doesn't have as much baggage as say even the word Christian, let alone words like evangelical and others. Um, I think mo most people are renewedly attuned to non-material realities. In other words, they're thinking through what do they really want in a committed community? What is, you know, what is the nature? Like, I think people are thinking, my husband has this phrase, like eulogy virtues versus resume virtues. And, you know, when you, when you die, you're often thinking about what do you say your deathbed? You're actually reflecting on either regrets or gratitudes you've had about various relationships or, yeah. and I think more people post pandemic, partly by being thrust face to face with mortality, whether distant or very close to one's own life and family. Um, and just sort of the break from the frenetic pace of life. I think there's a small subset of people that are both Christian people of transcendent have a transcendent sort of faith. And those who have none who are just like, um, more curious and hungry for to ask, like, how do we be on the side of rehumanizing our age and not 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 on the dehumanizing side? So I think that's that's the hope I have that that's a juncture, but it needs to be resourced and it needs to be, you know, gathered. Um, yeah, there's so. the, uh, the you know the 47 million people who quit their jobs in the Great Resignation. I think a subset of the 47 million people did some soul searching and said. I want to do something else with my life, right? So yeah, there is a group. I think of the 300 million other people <laughs> who uh, bought bigger flat screen TVs and uh, subscribed to Netflix. It may be a different story, but we'll see. Is that uh, I think uh, when the dust settles in the next year, maybe two, we may, yeah, let's see whether something has been sparked here, so. And I want to just say, Thank you for asking so many amazing questions and kind of, oh. I think really I felt challenged to say, how am I asking questions and what are the stories we're telling? Yeah. And I think we can all agree to the, the confusion and the world that we're in is, is it's opaque. Like it's hard to understand like where we are and where we're going. And I think it's like a hinge. It's like a yeah. hinge moment. Like I do think this is a very significant time, but we just can't quite grasp the shape of it <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and comment has a big role that's a big big role so 
Uh, yeah. We want to encourage Thanks. you and whoever Thank watches you. this, we want to encourage them to go go to your website. Yeah. Comment.org, please do. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank For you both. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I think just in closing, is it okay if I close this out in prayer today? And just, just a prayer of hope that um, God knows all the things that we don't and um, he, he's gone before us already, even in this moment and age. Is that okay? Please. All right. Um, Father God, I thank you so much for this conversation. I thank you for the work that Anne and her team do in asking questions and inviting people into conversation. Um, I pray that you just bless it and anoint it as, as you call us and anoint our work, that it starts conversations that are, are healthy and loving and kind and others recognizing, Lord, that there's um, a movement towards understanding your humanity that you took on for us as we embrace our own humanity, as we love you and love others. So I pray that you bless this conversation, bless it to the people that listen, and let us be encouraged in the work that you're doing in this world. May we be wise enough to find it and to partner with you. I pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us and sharing. Thank you. Thank you.